One of the Bible readings that Christian churches are focusing on on this Transfiguration Sunday is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. I'll read that now for you. Uh, it'll be projected. It's also printed in the worship folder. You can also follow along in your Bibles, your Bible apps, and then be ready to take notes during the sermon. I'm going to preach on verses 16 to 18 this morning. Here it is, 2 Peter 1. So this is Peter writing. He was one of the three disciples who witnessed the transfiguration. This is later in his ministry, and here's what he says, reflecting, thinking back. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So what does God look like? If, if he were sitting in your living room when you got home today, waiting for you, and you opened the door to your house or apartment, what would you see? Would, would your house or your apartment be like glowing as compared to all the other dimly lit houses or apartments on your block or in your complex? Would there be smoke coming out of it but it's not on fire? Would you see fire? Would, would there be a figure sitting on your sofa in a kind of a ivory-colored, semi-dirty robe kind of thing with long brown hair and beard, kind of our Germanic European Jesus that we usually picture? What, what would he look like? It's a good question what God looks like. Uh, in ancient times, before Jesus walked the earth, before paintings of Jesus adorned our, our walls and we kind of tended to think what Jesus looked like, um, you couldn't look at God and live at all. Uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, remember after they sinned, they had interaction with God, but it says in Genesis 3, it doesn't say they saw God, it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Their conversation with God was without seeing him. And when God appeared to Abraham, he visited Abraham's home to give him the promises, and he appeared as a weary stranger who was in need of a meal. And when God appeared to Jacob, he appeared to Jacob as a stranger who was looking to pick a fight. He wrestled with him, right? Or in a dream, God often appeared. He appeared that way to Jacob and to many prophets. 
In visions to prophets he would appear. But God never appeared in person to anyone in ancient times or they died. Humans simply cannot handle the glory of God's presence. It is too much. I threw down some examples for you uh, in these verses here that are in the sermon notes and projected. Uh, Exodus 14, verse 24. That's where after God led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and then he guided the Israelites in his glory cloud. And that glory cloud looked like a pillar of cloud by day, a bright cloud, and then looked like a pillar of fire by night. And Exodus 14, 24 says um, that God led them from his glory cloud because he, he had to hide in that glory cloud, and he led them, and it was okay. And then he revealed himself out of that glory cloud, and the Egyptian army and Pharaoh and all of them died or drowned in the Red Sea. They couldn't handle God's presence. Exodus 19 is when Moses is meeting God on the mountain. Um, I'm going to read to you from some of these verses. Verse 16 says, There was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. This is God coming down on the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Verse 21, God says to Moses, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. He couldn't look at God and live. And then God's presence was represented in this Ark of the Covenant that, that they made for the tabernacle and this special Ark with the cherubim and their wings touching and the mercy seat and all the gold. And it was carried on long poles. You, you were not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so uh, that next reference, 1 Chronicles 13.10, tells that uh, they, were, they were transporting the Ark at some point and just this... This fella who loved God and, and was there next to the ark, and the, and the ark started to tip, and he reached out to steady the ark, he died. You cannot look at or touch God and his glory and live. And yet here we are on the Mount of Transfiguration. Centuries later, the glory of God appears. And Peter and James and John are terrified, but their hearts don't stop beating. Their brains don't blow out of their ears. They don't turn into worms. They don't turn into a pile of dust. They're, Peter remains alive to write about it later. We just read his words. Why? How? What's up? Let's go back just a little bit from the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's go back to when the glory of God does appear on the earth in a different way than it appeared in the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament where God appeared, everything that he wrote in the Old Testament, everything that he told the prophets, all of it was meant to prepare people for the coming of who? Jesus, right? God, the Son of God. God. 
So, finally, the Son of God comes. And we read in the Christmas story, in Luke chapter 2, that the angels appear to the shepherds, and all the angels cry out, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, right? The glory of God appears. But the shepherds don't die. They go to see this glory lying in a manger being held and nursed by a young lady, a young poor lady named Mary. And she doesn't die. And the animals, if there were animals there, didn't die. And, and Jesus is born. And then Jesus lives. And now we've spent, since our own Christmas time, we've spent the Epiphany season, which means Epiphany, which means reveal. So we've spent the Epiphany season observing and believing how this, this little baby, this, this human being, reveals himself to be God. And he does that by his miracles, by his teaching. And we observe that and we say, wow, this, this human being is also God. He's divine. He's revealed as God. And now this is the greatest glory that we ever see in Jesus in his ministry on the Mount of Transfiguration right here. Right before this, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he has, he, he has some troubling times. It's hard for Peter to believe when Jesus, his leader and his, his rabbi, his master, says, I'm going to suffer and die and three days later rise from the dead. In one instance where Jesus told the disciples that, Peter said, No, I won't, I'll have none of it. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. Other times, Peter rightly confesses. When Jesus says, Who do people say that I am? Peter says, you're the Son of God. You're the true Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Peter and the other disciples are looking for a bit more glory from Jesus than someone saying, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going to bleed and be beat to a pulp and put on a cross, and it's not going to be pretty. That's not glory. Glory is the Messiah, the Son of David, coming to take the throne to establish the monarchy and, and the kingdom of Israel once again. That's glory. Jesus, let's, let's bring it on. And on Palm Sunday, G Jesus shows them a little bit of it. At, this is after transfiguration. He rides in and the crowds praise him. And within that week, the crowds crucify him. So God... It, is this an identity crisis, God? What, what does your glory look like? And where is it? And where should we expect your glory? And the transfiguration helps us with those questions. Um, we can be like Peter asking, what does the glory of God look like? And we can be a little troubled and confused on our own. God, I pray for your glory when I pray the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. God, I want your glory. Your glory sounds like it's a good thing, but I'm not exactly sure what it looks like. If I see it, will I die? 
Does it appear to me and I don't notice it? Can I take some and put it in my pocket and take it home with me and it's a good luck charm for the week? What's your glory, God? What does it look like and how does it operate in my life? If you truly are all glorious and you're like sovereign and supreme, why is there such suffering in the world? And in my own family? And if you're so holy, why do... Why do I struggle with sin so much? Where's where's your glory, God? What does it look like? And how do I make it part of my life? That's what the transfiguration answers. So Peter's reflecting now in these words. Um, He's writing having experienced it and then coming down from the mountain and then years later encouraging us and the people that he's teaching with these words and he's gonna he's gonna bring this out there's there's three points about god's glory that i want to bring from peter's words today the first is this god's glory is not an idea god's glory is a person one of my favorite people right now, one of my f- favoritest, favoritest people ever, when, when I see him, I just want to go give him a big hug, is David, our architect for our building at Holy Word Pflugerville. Because when David shows up, our architect, it means things are happening. Right? We've kind of been sitting with our hands in our pockets for a while going, when is this thing going to happen? Come on. And, uh, and so when, when David's on the scene, it's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here because you're, you're like the idea of our building in person. It's real. All right, so catch these words from Peter in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. God's glory is not a metaphor, an idea representing something real. God's glory is real. God's glory is not fiction or a fairy tale trying to get across a a point of morality or or, uh, something that's important for us to live by. It's not make-believe. It's not fiction. God's glory is real, so real that it's here in a person. In Jesus, we see God's glory now coming, not in a cloud, not in the temple, not thundering on a mountain, but we see God's glory coming through a shining face of a real person, Jesus Christ. And he's not the moon reflecting the real glory of God. He's the sun shining with his own glory, the Son of God in person. Uh, John 1 verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh. We, John is writing, he and the disciples, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. He says, God's grace is the glorious appearing of God in person to people. God, God said, I'll show you my glory. And he came in person, and we didn't die. 
He came in, in Jesus. Hebrews 1, a beginning section in Hebrews 1, says that Jesus, the Son of God, is, is the exact radiance of, of Godness. And he's his own glory because he's God in person. This is what makes Christianity, what you and I believe, different than any other religion in the world. Right here. That, that religion for Christianity is a person, not a bunch of principles. Religion is a person, Jesus. And not a pilgrimage that you must take either geographically to a location somewhere or in your own personal journey in your own heart. You have to get to a certain place. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not what we do, not what we hope, not an idea. Christianity, real religion of the true God is a person, a being, a historical God in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm at my dad's memorial service last weekend, and, um, and I'm meeting all kinds of new people that, whom my mom has befriended over the years uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <clears throat> and one of them is, uh, is, a, is a, a, a beautician-type person of sorts who, who helps my mom stay pretty. Uh, and she's Indian. She's from the country of India, okay? And her husband are there. And, and it was just a pleasure to meet them. And, and uh, they, they met me. I found out I was Karen and Dave's son. <clears throat> and, then they, and then she said a really interesting thing. She said, this is a lot different than our culture. What's happening here? I said, well, that's, in, that's interesting. What, what do you mean when you say that? What's, what's your culture? And how does it compare to what we're doing here? And, and, and what we are doing here was pretty much a funeral, okay, a Christian funeral memorial service. And she said, in our culture, when a person dies, it's very sad and somber. We, don't, we come to an event like this after someone dies, we wear no makeup. We wear no jewelry. We wear very muted tones of clothing as to not, not attract attention, and we cry. And we wail and we mourn. Think of the, the stories in the Gospels where Jesus walks in when someone has died, you know, and, and the whole place is erupting in wailing and mourning, and he, he says, stop, I'm here, it's okay, right? That kind of, that is, she said, that's what happens. <clears throat> and we talked for a little while longer. It was a very pleasant conversation, very respectful, very kind, good, good people who were there. And, and she said, this is my first time. In, in something like this, meaning a Christian memorial service or a funeral. And so we talked just about cultural differences for a while, and then and I stepped away, and then I stepped back, and I said, just one more thing I have to tell you. I just have to tell you the why. I have to tell you why you're seeing these people here, and we're glad, and there's even some kind of joking and laughing a little bit in a respectful kind of way, and, and I'm not red-faced crying and, and my mom isn't either, I, I have to tell you why. Because there's this person named Jesus and he lived and then he died and then he rose and he's a historical person and because those things happened, 
The same thing is going to happen to us who believe in him. And that's all I said, because I knew her religion isn't based on a historical person. Any other religion other than Christianity is not based on a person and what they do. It's based on principles, and it's based on a pilgrimage, and it's based on how pious and how many rules you can keep. And no wonder they're sad when a person dies. But we're happy and we rejoice because we have the promises of the resurrection and our religion is based on a per- God's glory in a person. That's very important. All right, let's go on. God's glory, number two, is not terror but beauty. Uh, fireworks. Right? When, when fireworks shoot off, you hear, ooh, ah, fireworks. It's like, it's like a work of beauty, right? Until one launches into your house. Or until your finger gets stuck on a bottle rocket, right? That's not a word. That's terror. But fireworks in their, in the purpose for which they exist are meant to give us beauty. All right? So the glory of God is not meant to terrorize us as the end game. We might, whoa, at the glory of God. But in that, there's a mix of that awe of beauty, and that's what God wants for his glory. Look at verse 17, where Peter writes this. Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. That's the one way up there. That's God the Father saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The disciples fall face down, terrified, when they see this this glory. They can't handle it. No one can in our sinfulness. We can't handle it. But Jesus is the one who gets them up and says, don't be afraid. Don't, Don't be terrorized by God's glory. It's a beautiful thing. And it says, when they looked up, they saw Jesus. You're only going to see God's glory as a beautiful thing in the cross, in, in Jesus' cross. Um, in John 17, verses 4 and 5, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, and he says to his Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me. Right? That, that's, that's glory for God the Father. He's glorified, according to Jesus, when the work that he gives Jesus to do is being done, and the work that he gave him to do is ugly. And it's terrifying facing the curse of your sins and mine. And it's sacrificial and it's bloody. And that's glory for God the Father. And Jesus accomplishes that glory when he does that work. And he gets killed and he gets crucified. And now you participate in the glory of God because that was a gift for you what Jesus did when he glorified the Father. Um, He lost his Jesus lost his beauty when he was crucified so that you would be beautiful to God. And now you have perfection and beauty and purity and glory on your own. Uh, Thirdly, God's glory is not his to keep but ours to share. So Jesus glorified the Father by going to the cross, and he did that not for himself, and not really, not only for the Father, but he did it for all of us whose sins need God's forgiveness and his grace. And so Jesus reached outside of himself to save us, and now he wants us to do the same. Verse 18, 
Um, Peter writes, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They heard a voice and they were with him. Two key principles for us sharing Jesus with others. When you're a disciple of Jesus, people hear in your voice the voice of God. And all I mean by that is that when you speak, when you offer words to them, when they even hear a conversation that you're in, they can tell that you know God and you know God's word. Maybe you're quoting scripture, maybe you're not, but you're a follower of Jesus and they hear in your voice the voice of God because you've been on the mountain. And they think and maybe even say, tell me more. And you can. And when people observe you and they hang out with you and they watch you and they're your neighbors and you work with them and they're even members of your extended family, and they, when they see a follower of Jesus, they know that you've been with him. Like it says, Peter and James and John were with him. Right? Peter writes, we were with him. They know you were with him. And, and they think it and they may say it. They want to be with him too. And you are the one he is using to lead them to him. So go play racquetball with them. And go serve on the committees in your community. Right here in Pflugerville. Get involved. Go to work every day. Hang out with your neighbors. Invite them over for fireworks and a 4th of July party. And let them see Jesus in you. Uh, Jesus has that confidence in you that, that you can do that. Um, now, that is our mission. And uh, I just want to make a point here at the end that our mission is not a building, but, but building ourselves and others up. Um, that just comes from where Peter says, hey, let's put up some shelters. Right? On the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, I like this. Let's, let's put up some shelters. And we can get into that whole story. The technical word is like tabernacles and there's a connection there. And so Peter's not all wrong for asking that. But at the end of the day, it's a physical structure. And G Jesus doesn't even reply. He just the, envelops them in the cloud and says, we have more important things to do and let's get off this mountain and let's go do mission work. Um, our building, which will be constructed right there in months ahead must not be our mission. We must not think of it as, oh, when we finally arrive in a building, we can be a church. If that's our thinking, I, and I'm Jesus, I'm never going to give it to us. And, and maybe that's part of the reason for some delays, is that Jesus wants to make sure our thinking is just focused on our mission. And our mission is not a building. A building will help us in our mission. But it's not our mission. Our mission is to hear Jesus and tell others about him and to be with Jesus and let others see him in us. And we do that right now. We're doing it right now. We're doing it today and you can do it right now. Even, even without a building, we could do that and do it well. We want to do it better with a building, but a building is not our mission. A building helps us in our mission. Uh, on Friday night, if you don't have plans... I would encourage you to go see the movie, The Shack. It's, grand, it's opening night, Friday night. It's based on the best-selling novel from 2007. Uh, one of the top, historically, top 40 books historically of all time. 
um, set a record for how long it was on number one on the bestseller list um, back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, back in that era. Um, if you have not read it, um, read it. If you haven't see it, seen it, go, go see the movie. I guess you haven't seen it. It's just coming out on Friday. But watch it with discerning eyes. And read it with a discerning, godly mind. Because the, the theme of the novel is really this. What does God look like? And, and the novelist, in a fictional way, using metaphors, tries to answer that question, but is... But his answer has the appearance of not being totally accurate about what God looks like. There's some good religious themes in there. But you go, you watch. Um, I'm going to send out, you'll hear from me more about this in the next couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll send you material that offers some discernment about the movie, but we can't swallow it hook, line, and sinker. But it will make you think. And then I want you to remember the transfiguration in this sermon as to what God really looks like. And at the end of the day, we look at God and we see him in his glory in a manger on the cross, leaving the empty tomb and reappearing to us and tapping us on the shoulder and saying, don't be afraid. That is God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we're sinners. We can't handle God. We can't handle a bare look at his glory. And yet you are God, and we can handle you because you came in the flesh. You came to be one of us in your humility, and you died for us. As we yearn for the glory of God in our lives, in our definition of greatness and brightness and splendor and perfection, remind us of two things. And help us believe them. That there is no perfect glory here on this earth except in your true promises. And that there is perfect glory and peace someday waiting for us in heaven. May we rejoice in that. May it be our focus and our mission. And help us listen to you that others might hear you through us. And to always be with you that others might become uh, with you through us as well. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.